Welcome back to the Hoops Temple Pod. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz. Joining me from Sacramento, Aaron Schroeder. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good to be here. And joining us from New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. Hello. This is personal hell week for all of us. My Lakers lost by 20 points to the, the Magic. Aaron's uh, Kings lost to the Rockets in embarrassing fashion. And Dylan's team traded for James Harden. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Hell week for me. We just we just traded for a superstar. We've got the second best net rating in the league. Like, why is this superstar. hell week? <laughs> Does that mean you are actually excited for James Harden? Because I feel like he's the antithesis of everything you love in basketball. No, I, I love James Harden. I've always loved James Harden. I'm the, yeah. I'm the one NBA fan that actually likes um, people drawing fouls. Like, whenever guys go to the line 20 times a game, I'm like, this is some good basketball. Like, this is good shit right here. <laughs> I think I've said this before, like the Clippers were in a position where you can't just like keep running it back as like your role players get older, like you're, you've failed and you're going to get worse just by the progression of, of some of these guys you're relying on getting older. And so they need to make a swing. This was like probably the best option that was available. You know, you're probably not going to get like Ojananobi or, you know, Miles Turner for, for what, what we had available. And so like you had to do something and this is a, a reasonable you know, a reasonable swing. James Harden, because the cost of Miles Turner was too high. <clears throat> that's, that's what we're saying here. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, got, you go down the list of quality NBA players and you get to James Harden. How do we feel this what, How do we feel this makes changes for the Clippers? Does this boost them in title contention? I, I want to comment on how good the Clippers have been playing this season first. Their net rating has been incredible. Kawhi has Kawhi played a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, he played a back-to-back. That's insane. <laughs> like that, That is insane progress. And they look healthy, and they have Westbrook playing well, and their bench looks good. I just, like, when I close my eyes and I imagine someone holding up the Larry O'Brien trophy, it's not Paul George and James Harden. It's just, like, <laughs> there's so many other, like, guys that I'm like, that looks, looks right in my head before it gets to them. Um, and is that a shitty, like, argument based in nothing? The kind of, but the James Harden business is just kind of, it's just a scary, it's a scary place to be in. Every, uh, every franchise's best day is when they trade for him, and their their second best day, they trade him away. You know, it's eventually you'll be happy to get rid of him. I just don't really know. I don't know if I just, I need to see it. I guess I need to see it before I completely understand the fit. I feel like having some like Harden kind of neutralizes what like Russ Westbrook and Bones Highland are doing. Cause I just can't picture them being on, especially all three, but even two of them on the court at the same time. You wouldn't put Bones out there with Harden and. I mean, maybe you'd have him out there with Westbrook. They have had him out there with Westbrook. I, I was listening to Zach Lowe kind of break it down and how they would match up against Denver. And Zach was very, he's very pro what this would do for the Clippers. Whereas of, yeah, this is now really hard to defend. And I just, I don't know that I see it as that hard to defend because there is still only one ball. And all right, so if we're matching them, them up and they're going against the Clippers, you put Aaron Gordon maybe against Kawhi. Maybe it's maybe against Paul George. You put KCP against Harden um, or or Kawhi, and then like it, it, you end up having to put Michael Porter Jr. on someone. I'm not that scared. Michael Porter Jr. He's not a great defender, but he really tried a lot last season in the playoffs and wasn't terrible. And he's got enough length and wingspan that when they went up against Phoenix, he did okay defending in Devin Booker in situations like. If this is your grand plan is that we're going to play ISO ball all playoff long and force Michael Porter Jr. to defend, eh, ISO ball is just not that efficient. 
does um the resurrection of Russell Westbrook as a competent NBA player sort of give you any any hope that maybe James Harden could follow a similar similar trajectory where these two guys have sort of you know been on the decline, fallen out of favor um, with a lot of fans and analysts, and have come to a situation where maybe they're uh, you know put in a better position to succeed than they had been previously. I don't trust it. <laughs> well, Harden. Or not Harden. Um, Westbrook, we came here on here last pod and we're like, yeah, he's averaging like an efficient seven points and he's moving the ball. Well, since then, uh, he's averaging over 20 or like last several games, 19, 18, 24. Uh, his shots have gone way up. The efficiency started to drop. But I'm like, well, he's back to doing Westbrook ball. And sure, one or two of those games came after the trade before they got the players. So like, you had to do more, but... See, the him or Kobe Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess I want to ask, what does Westbrook do well right now? And, I mean, go ahead, just list some attributes that you like from Westbrook. This isn't a sarcastic question. Like, he has things he does. He has things <laughs> yeah. he like. He has things I like. It's effort and defense and... Yeah, I mean, the, it's it's tricky because the probably the biggest thing that he brought to the Clippers was just a guy that's, um, you know, can get you into your offense and particularly push the pace in transition those aren't things that work well with James Harden James Harden's not going to run in transition like he wants to bring the ball up and slow it down and get to favorable mismatches and you know exploit weak defenders and so that um is a little bit of a tough fit just in that Harden's biggest strength is the the exact opposite of the way that Westbrook's able to bring value to the team completely I feel like the defense and the hustle and <clears throat> I mean the fact that Westbrook is an iron man he plays every game he's consistent he'll play as many minutes as you like even as he gets older and I just when the the talent and athleticism goes away from Harden I just don't see that kind of transition into you know let's like what like what Jason Kidd became at the end of his career like the still one of the best perimeter defenders still a great playmaker and plays every game or what Westbrook's doing right now um I didn't see that transition from from Westbrook into like I'm okay not taking shots and he's at least in the beginning of the season he had done that I don't really see that coming from Harden and and since basically since like 2021 he's been averaging like 18 points on 39% shooting in the playoffs and that's like he's just not a very good scorer anymore and so I just want to see him impact the game in, in ways that that move me is it weird to say I feel like they're going to miss Nick Batum like Batum has looked cooked this year I mean 2.7 2.7 points, 1.7 in uh, assists. But in the past couple of years, he has been a good connective piece of just like, let me get out there, hustle, defend. I'm going to catch and shoot when I'm open. I'm not going to complain when I'm not. And I actually, I really hope that he can kind of resurrect and have a good final year in Philadelphia. We should probably also talk about the Philadelphia side of things. The 76ers got two first round picks and a swap, uh, as well as two seconds. And then probably inconsequential players to their season this year. Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Robert Covington. Happy to have Rocco back uh, in Philadelphia. But what do you guys think about this does for Philly? It's kind of addition by subtraction. Not that Harden was bad, but that he's gone. Finally, that cloud's not hanging over you. And you got a ton of assets. And the players aren't great, but they're flippable. And I'm not sure if they're going to pivot to some other star. I heard Zach Levine... I think that's a terrible idea. Um, I almost rather just wait it out a little bit and find someone that fits better or just ride it out with Maxine and Beat, who I really like right now. I think the cap flexibility and the extra assets is was a great move. Right, and like the on-court upgrade is probably not massive. Like you do get two guys who are 
have been able to be competent role players before. Um, you know, Nate was saying that Batum's looking pretty washed, which has been true over sort of the last, probably since last year, really, um, where the offense is very limited. But he's like still really good as like a connective piece. Like he's such a quick decision maker. If you leave him wide open, he can hit a spot up three. Um, and he's still like a really smart and strong defender. And so we saw, you know, earlier this season, he was still the fifth guy in the Clippers closing unit. Like he was the one playing center when we were, you know, in that close game against Utah, for example. Um, and so I think that he still does have something to offer um, to the Sixers and is probably quite a, a reasonable fit alongside him be just that, that type of player that you'd want. Um, but the big thing for Philly is that, like Aaron said, these are expiring contracts, which, uh, you know, are effectively neutral value. You know, you attach assets to those contracts to, to bring in better players um, or they're expiring and Philadelphia can have max cap space in the off season, uh, which is huge for them. Um, KJ Martin is another guy that they brought in who's potentially a role, you know, role player caliber of guy who can maybe find his way into the rotation. And he's also got a very low cap hold so they can retain him um, as well as bringing in using their cap space. Have you heard the Trojan horse theory that this trade frees up close to two max slots or the, with this trade, Philly will have close to two max slots. That's for this uh, upcoming free agency. And Harden is now going to the Clippers with two max free agents, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Could he be disruptive enough that they're looking for more fertile championship grounds? I love that. <laughs> Just trade Harden to the team who whose players you want, and he's like, they'll <laughs> they'll they'll fuck they'll fuck it up enough. Well, they'll be in Philly in no time. Um, just to touch on the role players really quickly, like the Sixers were playing, like like Danny Green got nine minutes in two games, nine minutes a game, and shot zero percent from the field. Like they're playing Daniel House Jr. If you can replace those guys with like Batum, like I kind of like Batum over what Danny Green is bringing in twenty twenty three, almost twenty twenty four. Yeah, the Clippers definitely increase their volatility. The their the chance for just like a historic implosion is there, but I mean the I can't deny that the ceiling is higher. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the big thing is like when you're the Clippers and you're trying to win a championship and you know that like what you've got isn't enough to you know isn't enough sort of swings at the ball to to get you to the championship. You know, there's a going into any game, there's you know a twenty percent chance that. James Harden has a good game and there's a 20% chance that Paul George has a good game. And there's, you know, a 20% chance that Kawhi is so good that it doesn't matter who else is playing well, he can just carry you. Um, and you add up all those percentages, it gets you closer to a championship. I like it. I really want to see how the new small ball five looks. I, I think they'll look fine with uh, Zubak in there, but I want to see the Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, Paul George, and PJ Tucker five. That just strikes me as really interesting. We've got to stop pretending that PJ Tucker's good. Got to stop, guys. It's <laughs> over. You have to stop pretending. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's okay. You, you need someone to guard the opposing team's best player and hold them to, you know, an efficient 30 points. <laughs> Not even sure 30. 30. Efficient 30. That might be uh, uh, a little bit generous. <laughs> I, I just bashed on Batum stats, but PJ is averaging an efficient. Uh, 1.5 points per game on uh, 33% from the field in a fair amount of minutes. Like, Well, he plays yeah. 40 minutes a game and takes two shots. And I understand defense and tangibles. He's got that dog in him, dog per 36 metrics and stuff like that. I just can't get into it. I'm, I mean, he was, he was a very, very effective role player. And like 
was the heart of some great Houston teams. They needed someone like a, a super small ball center that, that could shoot threes, and he was that. But he, well, he's like 38 right now, isn't he? He's yeah. old. I mean, he is like a good fit around the Clippers, though, because they like to play that way. Like they've been really successful in the past with going to sort of a five out switching unit. PJ Tucker, at the very least, is like a body that you can just like throw on a throw on a dude when you don't want Kawhi or Paul George um, covering the whole game. He will turn 39 in the playoffs. Wow, Jokic 39. stopper? Do you think there's some Jokic stopper potential there? Jokic food, man. He's eating that guy <laughs> up. <laughs> right. I mean, you know he's going to be guarding him, and you know Jokic is going to have like 45, 15, and 10 on 20 of 25 shooting. Well, the Clippers do actually have uh, – I mean, they got Zoo and they got Plumley. Yeah. So, like, if they have to go more big Jokic for a food. series – Yes, yeah, more Jokic food, <laughs> but like it's not as not as bad as putting six five PJ Tucker on him. I mean, Mason Plumley might be worse than putting a six five guy on. Him. <laughs> well, that's it's, that's, it's not it's, just that he's defensively inept. It's also that Jokic is like, I remember I had to come off the bench for you, and I remember I had to play fucking power forward next to you and space the floor <laughs> for you to post up. The vengeance like, game. I'm mean, it's, it's vengeance. I mean, that is if. The Nuggets can make it past the juggernaut that is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have suddenly figured out offense and defense and destroyed the Nuggets a few games ago. Yeah, that was that was a surprise. I didn't catch that one, and then I mean, that, when my box score watching that was the most shocking one. I told people the the Timberwolves have been good; they're the best defense in the league currently. Gobert is still a very good defensive player. Yeah, can he score? No, but you've got yeah. the two other players that can do that. Um, the combo does work better with Mike Conley. They still have their rough patches, and like there are times where they kind of turn it to the bench and Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and I'm like, sometimes it looks good. Sometimes it looks like Towns is just trying way too hard to get his shot up because he's like, I'm not getting enough touches with the starters. But I, I, I'm still high on, on what Minnesota can be, and they've not been bad this year. The transition from... Edwards to Anthony Towns has been basically in full force. They've been Towns mm-hmm. uh, taking you know less shots. He's averaging 18 points per game, where Edwards is up to 26. Although uncharacteristically bad shooting from Towns, currently at 26, percent and he I mean, he's a career 40 percent shooter from three. I'm guessing he'll figure that out. Didn't really anticipate that, but the Wolves definitely have something, uh, some stuff that I like for sure with uh, with their rotation and. Yeah, the, the self-proclaimed best um, big man shooter of all time. We, we'd hope that he'd be able to figure it out um, as we get later into the season. But isn't this just sort of the team that those of us who are high on this, uh, you know, sort of as a regular season team, uh, isn't this just the, the kind of play that we were expecting? Like you get Gobier in to anchor the defense. You're really mm-hmm. big in the front line, which makes it hard to score. You've got really good athleticism on the wing. You know, McDaniels has become one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And Anthony Edwins, can, he can turn it on at times. Um, and this is like what we expected coming into last season, or at least what I expected coming into last season. And it, it just took a season to for them to figure it out. Yeah, potential defensive player of the year candidate, Jaden McDaniels. Did you see that Shams tweet? I do remember that. When he got signed the extension, he's like, defensive player of the year candidate. I'm like, all right. You know who's been insanely good? Nas Reed. 16 points per game for Nas Reed. 
he's like he i love his athleticism um he can space the floor great free throw shooter he uh yeah. he just kind of he he's great i like him in transition it just feels like they're just mismatched hell like when they get going basically all over the place they have like three seven footers they play basically i really enjoy the two big lineups it's just it's unique it's something different that we haven't seen for a little bit everyone kind of went small it went with interchangeable and minnesota's like we're gonna double down because our bigs are skilled and can do multiple things and i I like something unique. Well, with Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid, you kind of kind of swung the other way when when mm-hmm. centers got. I mean, with like people tried the small ball thing, but like the key to that is Draymond Green. Like if you had Draymond, you could do it. You have your your death lineup, but if you don't have like this crazy six eight switchable defensive player, it's not going to be super effective or as effective. You're, you're saying the Rockets can't do a uh, small ball switchable interchangeable lineup with Westbrook, like in 2020. No, no, with uh, Shangun and uh, Van Vliet. That's a center. That's a center. <laughs> That's a regular lineup. Hey, it looked great last night, though. Uh, how are you feeling about your Kings? Awful. I feel terrible. Um, we lost to the Warriors in like heartbreaking fashion. Clay hits a game winner. I had already chalked that up as a loss, and the fact that we were kind of in it was cool. So I didn't hurt as bad, but then um, we got blown out by Houston. Um, we held them to 12 third-quarter points and still were trailing heading into the fourth. And they got blown out by 15 in the fourth period alone. It was like 77, 79 heading into the fourth. Like we were right there and we got smoked. Um, we made Jabari Smith look really good. I still like Jabari Smith, but man, like it's honestly, it was kind of crazy. Like seeing the Rockets and almost, I almost understood their off season for a second. Like Van Fleet was like <laughs> dishing and like, and like he was driving and kicking and like hitting pull up threes. And I, I under like really helping guys like Jalen Green and guys like Jabari Smith get their looks. And I'm like, man, like, are the Rockets better than us? Like, did they, like, do they surpass us this off season? Like Dylan Brooks has been awesome. Like I'd rather have Brooks than Barnes or Herter. Kevin Herter continuing his um cold streak that he, picked up i think in the playoffs of just randomly forgetting how to shoot after being absolutely awesome last year is the the regression to the mean in terms of shooting that the kings really didn't need it's not the mean it's a regression to the league worst i don't want to <laughs> i don't want that what's crazy about the stats though is with sabonis if like with the cleaning the glass numbers the kings are actually really good defensively when he's out there and that's what i've seen i think he's mm-hmm. gotten much better at switching on the perimeter like he's not some lumbering giant anymore and defending the rim like he's had some nice moments and he's pretty consistent but we're in the fourth percentile for points per 100 when he's out there like i don't, I just don't understand what's going on with his uh with his with his offense and why our shots aren't falling it's it's a tricky thing with sabonis because i feel like one of the things that he does best is that screen handoff action on the perimeter and that gets other people going that you know allows herder to get his shot off or doug mcdermott was like the biggest recipient of that for years we'll talk more about dougie mcbuckets dougie mcbuckets uh, but but when he does that he is no longer an offensive threat uh he is a passing he is an offensive hub where he's most deadly is if you get it down to him on the block and that just you start putting it down to him on the block now he's not passing as well it's it's why he is not Jokic. it's why he is not a superstar but why he's more in like the you know 18 to 25 best players as opposed to a you know 15 or better type of guy i just want to mention about doug mcdermott when the bulls drafted him they were like 28th in offense 
And I was certain, like 14-year-old me was positive that Doug McDermott, because they were like a top five defense. And I was like, Doug McDermott's taking this team all the way. Like he's the <laughs> scoring difference that we need. I didn't understand quite yet what I was getting myself into. but um, I remember Mike Dunleavy's career mm-hmm. and people started comparing him to Mike Dunleavy. And I was like, oh, okay. So he's not going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I remember that Bulls team because – Back back at that time, I'd like to find like the worst team in two K or like a really bad team and like you know rebuild them. Um, and I remember going into the Bulls once and just being like, "Oh shit! Like this is this is too difficult. Like there's just nothing to work with here." That 2015 team, and they did end up winning 50 games with a 11th on offense and defense. But Mike Dunleavy played. 63 games at 29 minutes per game mcdermott stuck on the bench at nine minutes per game if only man if only they they knew that he was dunleavy's uh, successor uh, my frustrations with sabonis i mean you're totally right about his his passing and whatnot because he's he's when he gets those handoffs right now like what is a kevin herter handoff three like last season at some point i, I think it was the last decade by points per shot essentially or points for possession it was like Harden isos Jokic post-ups and kevin herter handoff threes were generating like an absurd amount of points and now he's shooting 22 percent from three keegan's been cold harrison barnes is not that good at basketball um and you end up with like fox and monk carrying this team offensively because and sabonis came out like last week and basically said i know you guys want me to take shots if i start taking those shots our offense isn't what it is isn't what it is which is this passing and facilitating thing right get guys open he basically said find someone else that can shoot stop asking me so that's not coming anytime soon i appreciate that though because like one thing that mike Dunn or not mike Dunley, uh mike brown has always done is he's shown a large amount of confidence in his shooters like even so much so that when keegan murray passes up that shot he's like i'm gonna pull you because you're passing up open shots and I need you to keep shooting. Oh, sure. I have had no Mike Brown complaints. But I, I like that Sabonis has that buy-in to say like, hey, I'm not going to just take over the offense and start shooting a ton. Like I'm going to continue to do these passing, you know, these setup plays because I think that is what's best for the team. That's that's good to hear from a star. For sure. He still leads the league in rebounds, rebounds per game. That's nice. I like Fox. Back. You know, regardless, you're in better, you're in a better position than you guys were last year. That's true. Oh, and four last year, and then now we're two and th- yeah, we're gonna play Houston again, and then Portland, and maybe it's fine. Like I'm really not freaking out. I'm just frustrated. Uh, before we move on, I'll, my last King speech is um, Javale McGee's been pretty good. The plus minus numbers are honestly kind of insane. Like when he's out there with Malik Monk, like M- Monk's finishing ability and Javale's lob threat ability has been like kind of kind of awesome. Like like it was last season, it was Sabonis Herder handoffs, and now it's. Uh, monk mcgee pick and rolls where mcgee still is like super athletic and has great hands and just eats up rebounds he's playing about 12 minutes per game so i can't get like too into it but that's what Mm -hmm. i anticipated was 12 minutes and it's been 12 really good minutes which is kind of nuts after last season's like center backup center rotation yeah yeah i did find myself watching the warriors play the other day i was like man if only they had an alex len like len would be really nice because they just needed size they were getting demolished on the boards but they're, they're fine. We'll talk more about the Warriors as the season goes on. Right now, I want to talk about the other center that's been dominating, been playing very well, although I guess he's not a center. Dominating? So- Wait, I, which way are we going with this? <laughs> this was a really terrible segue. I'm trying to get us over to San Antonio because I want to talk uh, some Wimbenyama. I thought it was going to be DeAndre Ayton. Okay, never mind. God, no. I watched, I watched the Blazers play uh, play the Grizzlies because I'm, I'm really into this. I'm, I'm really into Memphis getting a win. 
I believe it will happen. I believe it will happen tonight in between us recording this podcast and us posting this podcast. But like, God, the Blazers have stuff. They If they played Williams, Aiton, Grant, Sharp, and... Um, Simons. Brogdon. Okay. Uh, did, I, did I say Simmons? I don't know. So the four guys that they have, plus Simmons, the four established players, that would be a good lineup. If you play the four without Simmons, that um, play-by-play stats, they're like plus 25 per 100 possessions in 12 minutes, uh, which is a horribly small sample size. But they have competent players, not many of them, but enough that like they could cobble together an okay squad for a few minutes and they just they don't want to do it they want to lean into the tank and so hopefully those guys will get traded yeah jeremy grant being on this team makes zero sense like they need to get him um out of the way like the fact that malcolm brogdon's like got the ball and he's like should i pass it to shaden sharp who's this you know 19 year old super dynamic ball handler super athletic can create a shot or should i pass it to jeremy grant He's like, you know what, I'm going to pass it to Jeremy Grant so he can <laughs> go do a, a mid-post ISO. Like, get get that man out of the way. <laughs> I had, at my Portland preview, I mean, I had them as one of the worst teams in the West. I still think, like, when teams get to five wins, it's like, hey, they're five and four. But to get to 20 wins, that's 15 more wins. That's a lot of more, that's a lot more wins to go grab. And I, I made a point that with Jeremy Grant, I just I hated the fit with him next to basically a bunch of other shooters. And and Simons isn't even he got thumb surgery. He's not even a part of this. And I still feel like Jeremy Grant's in the way. because um, Shane Sharp's been really good. The counting stats are there. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of figured it'd be a little too early for him, just in terms of like he's like this raw, you know, this this crazy athlete. And last season was just a wreck. It just just crazy for him. He was all all up and down. And um he's been pretty good. So yeah, get Jeremy Grant the fuck out of here. It it might not be saying much. But there were moments in that Memphis game where uh, Shaden Sharp was the best player, just just in the game. And like, I know Memphis is missing a bunch of people, and we have a couple of questions from TikTok, so we'll have to be quick in trying to answer those. We could clip it up and put it in on TikTok. But Sharp looked really good. He attacked the basket well. Last couple of plays of regulation, he drove and kicked, picked a Grant, and it was a miss, but it was it was a good drive and kick. They got the ball back, uh, and he drove and attacked and. Wasn't able to finish, but he got fouled and tied it up at the line. Like he, he's he's going to develop. I think there's a really bright future for Sharp. Do you guys want to do some of those TikTok questions? Yeah, please. We're just gonna stick with the Grizzlies. So we got uh, two of them: one from Dummy, one from Frederick, and they both basically both uh, equal out to why do the Grizzlies suck? I think the first thing is that they are the worst offense in the league. Like the defense is mediocre, which you'd you'd hope to be better given that they got the you know, the reigning defensive player of the year on the team and and the the former defensive player of the year. Like you'd expect the defense would be better than you know the I think it's like eighteenth or something around around that. Um, but they're the worst offense in the league, and like that kind of makes sense when you look at this roster, just from a perspective of what are the advantages that Memphis has offensively. What are the ways that they can create an advantage? They don't have great playmaking. They don't have great shooting. They don't have great individual players or post players or great passing. It's like, what is their advantage to create offense? Yeah, that was on full display as Marcus Smart uh, had multiple near turnovers at the end of regulation and then overtime against the Blazers. Like the man dribbled into the middle, uh, almost lost the ball, tipped it out and got a, uh, was it uh, Luke Kennard three that got blocked by Sharp? 
by Shannon to Sharp, end yeah. regulation. Yeah, uh, but that was that was very nearly a turnover. And then like near the end of overtime, he drives in, kind of loses it, makes an errant wild pass. Like the man is averaging five and a half assists and four per point two turnovers. I got the stats pulled up here. Like it, it's it's not good. You don't have anyone to create for anyone else. Um, Desmond Bain is really good as like a catch and shoot. Like let me play off of other stars, but even against Portland, he wasn't really creating. Like, like if there's a team to be like, I'm going to show my stuff. It it was probably Portland. Um, I'm still very confident that in the rematch tonight, they're going to win, but they, they just don't have anything. I don't think, I think I saw that no Owen six team has ever made the playoffs. I, you can, teams have started, like remember the Pelicans a while back were like one in 12 and they end up making mm-hmm. the playoffs. So you can have mm-hmm. a worse record, but in terms of most losses that'll win, that's a pretty uh, unique group. I think the issue with Memphis and everything you guys said is right, but it comes down to the half their team is missing. Like this is, yeah. this is just not the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, obviously John Morant's out, Brandon Clark, Steven Adams, Santi Aldama, John Conchar, Derek Rose is day to day. And I don't even know if they like him to play. I mean, he's always going to have those knee issues and, and be day to day, but when they're running the Rose Marcus smart point guard stuff and in, in 2023, you know, you're not going to be facilitating at a high level. And I, I saw some stuff about like, Oh, the Grizzlies should blow it up or something. That's still no. ridiculous. That's, I mean, maybe sneakily find a way to have a bad record. That's something, but like, these are all great pieces. They still have John Morant. It's still a great roster. Like, take a deep breath. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to read the ages of some of their guys. Desmond Bain is 25. Aaron Jackson Jr. is 24. Zaire Williams, 22. Tillman, 25. Roddy, 22. Uh, Jake LaRavia, 22. Kenny Lofton Jr., 21. They have a good number of young guys is in this mix that will continue to get better. There's no need to like blow it up and, all right, we have to trade away Jaron Jackson Jr. because he can't lead a team anywhere. No, just wait for Jow to get back, regroup, take this season as a loss. Anyone gets hurt, milk it for all you got, keep him out as long as possible, get a top five pick or something, and just just keep building. Like It's not, not the end of the world. If there's one thing that could give you hope for the Grizzlies, other than you know just injuries, is that they're losing quite a few close games. Um, they have the biggest differential between their expected win based on point differential and their actual wins in the league. Um, like they've already lost more than one game, fewer than sorry, already lost more than one game more than expected. Um, so they're losing close games. You know they are kind of hanging in it. Maybe some of that shooting comes along and they get better. Um, but yeah, like this is not your Grizzlies team of yesteryear where you've got Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones and DeAnthony Melton who can, you know, just all these really competent players that can you can sort of throw together a decent NBA team with. And like the continuity factor is also kind of gone. You no longer have Dylan Brooks. You no longer have Tyus Jones. Um, DeAnthony Melton was there two years ago. Like as we kind of move further and further away from that uh, stretch two seasons ago where they were good without Ja. Everyone keeps saying, oh, they're good without Josh. Well, no, this is a different group. So why do they suck? Their offense sucks. Why is their offense suck? Because all of their guys are gone. Should they blow it up? No. Boom. TikToked. We got this one. Second TikTok question. I'll just say, before you move on, I do like the idea of, of the stealth tank. Like this, this it's a lost season. Maybe Jar's got a knee injury and he sits out the rest of the year. This this is the kind of season that can that can sort of turn this franchise into a real championship contender if this season goes badly enough that you can get that top five pick. 
That's important. Second TikTok question from a, not this Dylan, but another Dylan. Why are the Pistons playing Killian Hayes so much? He sucks. He's worse than, than Marcus Sasser. Why is he in there? I might have added or taken some uh, liberties with the question, but that's the basic gist. <laughs> from what I can see, he's pretty good defensively, and mm-hmm. Monty Williams is into that. And that, that's it's a pretty short answer um i I had said preseason i think we all kind of said that monty williams isn't the kind of guy that's going to play young players for the sake of development like he's going to come in and play the best player even if the development isn't there and so for i mean killian is still super young but i don't i I don't think they're worried about like what's jaden ivy going to be jaden ivy kind of sucks right now and so he's not playing like he's not going to get out there and and right now they're just um they're trying to trying to win games, although not very good at it. Have to mention that I had made a video when the when the Pistons were two and one. I uh, I said the Pistons are actually really good right now, like playing like pretty good basketball. It's awesome, you know, Star Thompson's defense and Jalen Duran's rebounding and Kate Cunningham, and they just got obliterated by the Suns. They're now two and five. You know, I I said I'd eat um <laughs> I said I'd eat a Pistons ticket if they won more than thirty games, and I think I'm safe. <laughs> I think I'm safe. <laughs> You gotta stop um, betting to eat things. It's okay. It, it was it was just the it was the Pistons and it was one more I forget. It was the Pistons over thirty games. And someone said on that Pistons video, like, "What do you think the ticket's gonna taste like?" So people do remember. Like people remember that I said that in a different video too. Like I commented that Clean. on someone else's video. Like they're keeping track of this stuff. Cleaning the glass, expected wins of thirty nine for the Detroit Pistons. Fuck, hey, two and five is hard. <laughs> two and five is hard to uh, to come back from. Do you think twenty eight more wins for the Pistons? I don't know. I don't know. So the one thing that I see when they play Killian Hayes that I really like, and I still have some Killian Hayes stock, not a ton. My I bought the stock when it's very low. When everyone's like he's the worst player ever, uh, I bought it last season. It is the ball movement in addition to the defense, like. Jaden Ivey gets out there and he drives, he attacks, makes the basket. He could shoot better than Killian Hayes. But dear God, if he ever passes the ball, um, that that's when I might eat a ticket. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he passes better, at least once a game. But like, it's just Killian Hayes moves the ball well. And like when he passes to Sar Thompson, Thompson's not really a scorer. So like the combo having him and Hayes out there does not work well. I think once uh, Bogdanovich is back, one of them will probably move to the bench and you'll just have like the supersized lineup out there. Um, and then it'll all work a lot better because you'll be passing to a capable shooter. But that that's why Hayes is out there is defense and passing. Answered our question. I think we should preseason next year, we need to have our, our ticket bets, which is we all pick a team that we're so sure are is going to go under like the, the Vegas line that if not the end of the season, we all come on and we eat a ticket together. It's just uh, it's just us three kind of munching on paper for an hour. <laughs> the the problem is is that they don't sell paper tickets anymore. You can still so, you have to buy it and then you print it. The thing is, if I, if this happens, Nate, I, I just I, I'm buying a ticket. I email it to you so you could go to the game. It might be like you might be sitting up there with God, but like I'm gonna, <laughs> I have to you know I, I I have to buy it and print it out and it's not an actual paper. T- I think that's better because if it's like the actual ticket, there's like lamination and shit on that but if it's just like printering i can handle that uh pistons pelicans tickets were three dollars uh earlier this week unfortunately the game was in new orleans so that yeah seeing seeing stuff like that makes me like is the time where i'm like most um like want to be living in the u.s 
like the fact that you could just like go out on like a Tuesday and be like, oh, I'll just go to an NBA game. It's three dollars. Like, <laughs> yeah. If if you want to be dissuaded from moving to the U.S., we're already at like five hundred mass shootings this year. So, oh yeah, like <laughs> there's a lot of downsides, but the 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 one thing in the in the in the positive box is like you can just go to an NBA game on a whim. I really hope Aaron listens to this pod and just like, what the fuck did they talk about while I was gone? Okay, all right, you got next season. We're making ticket bets. You guys are gonna put it on the line. Say I will eat. I will buy a ticket, and then I will eat it on there if. <laughs> We're going to do our last TikTok question, and then, which is from our pal, Crush Talk Sports, which is just Tatum for MVP, question mark. How are we feeling? The Celtics are the best team in the league currently, by record, by net rating, and usually best player on best team equals MVP, but I don't know. He feels like the third place candidate. Can you, I don't know, can you, I don't know, just can you imagine like like him getting enough over like what Jokic is doing or what Luka is doing right now? And can you guys see that? I can. And he is third, actually, in basketball references MVP tracker, which is usually horrid. Um, it's not usually a good tracker. But I was just like pulled up because I was like, man, I haven't I've been watching so many games. I've watched 24 games this season already, but like I haven't been paying attention to stats. So I don't know if like I'm just catching guys on good nights or bad nights. Tatum is at 30 points, nine rebounds, almost 10 rebounds, uh, three and a half assists on a five and oh Celtics team. And I do not know when Boston loses their first game. They have so many cupcake opponents. Their freaking league or their uh, in-season tournament just, just cakewalk yeah, teams. The, the NBA has really helped them to um, figure out these new pieces. Yeah. Uh, I, I would still personally go with Jokic at the moment. I mean, the ease in which this man is dominating has been really impressive. And I would say that what he is doing is more for his team than what, uh, what Tatum's doing. But I, I think he's definitely still in the race. and. Uh, I think Luca's team will eventually stop winning games at this rate and will fall back. So I, I think it's two horse race right now. Yeah, and it, it'll just come. To, you know, it could be similar to last year where it comes down to you know Jokic is sort of the favorite for most of the season. It gets late, there gets to be some you know media buzz, and Jokic doesn't take winning an MVP that seriously. Do you want to know the next couple of games for Boston? Let's, let's try to predict Boston's first loss Monday sure. night. They play Minnesota. That could actually be hard. Like I mean. Tibbles are good. In Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's you know, you, you got altitude, you got the cold. Oh, let's say they get past that one. Uh, Wednesday. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> All right. They're losing to Minnesota. London. Okay. I'll five eat a Boston Celtics ticket if they, <laughs> if they beat Minnesota. Oh, we, we can't keep eating tickets. <laughs> I haven't the had any tickets doesn't make enough yet. money for this yet. <laughs> I haven't had any tickets. It's just one ticket bet. <laughs> After that, they play Philadelphia on Wednesday in Philly. These are brutal games, man. These are like really tough. I thought it was going to be like Portland and the Jazz. Oh, and oh, don't worry. After these two, it goes Brooklyn, Toronto, New York, back to Philly, Toronto, Memphis, Charlotte. Where's a, where's a schedule loss in there? What's a second night of a back-to-back on the road? Second night of a back-to-back on the road. I'm so glad you asked that. The first night is Memphis and the second night is Charlotte. Can I mention about Toronto as we're recording? The Raptors have stormed all the way back and tied it up versus the Spurs. I believe wow. it's Spurs ball with 13 seconds left. Ooh. Pascal Siakam is one for nine currently. Wembenyama, 16 points. Currently is a Raptors coaches challenge. We'll see where that goes. I mean, that is that is as much of a good segue as we will ever get to talking about <laughs> Victor Wembenyama, mm-hmm. the man, the myth. 
the Phoenix Suns, Bane, their destroyer. How are we feeling about Wimbenyama for MVP? Honestly, kind of good. <laughs> like, pretty good about it. <laughs> um, he is Spurs 19. make the playoffs. He's MVP. He's just he's destructive. Like I don't think we've ever seen a rookie be this impactful since like LeBron or Wilt Chamberlain. Like I, I mean, I, I don't want to be like crazy, but he was the greatest prospect ever coming in. We knew that was coming, and now he is this like seven foot five guy with who's just destroying the dimensions of basketball. Like he makes defensively, is he the most impactful defender in the league right now? Is he top three no. at least? Can we say like? he's huge you can't like plays that you wouldn't even consider as like oh he's gonna contest this or he's gonna block that he's in the way and because he's so mobile and he's so tall and his arms are so long and then you can just kind of throw him entry passes anywhere like you can throw it just like you could close your eyes and just kind of blindly huck it up there and he just comes down with it and then can finish around the rim like post yeah. players have lost their kind of value over years because like entry passes are tough and it's not that good of a play and blah 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 but he's such a good passer from those positions and you'll never fuck up an entry pass because you just throw it like 10 feet in the air yeah yeah, I mean, the way he catches those lobs is just insane because yeah, I was watching him and Trey J- Jones run a pick and roll. Or, like, the, the pass was up there, and it was not a good pass. And then he just gumby-armed, got it, and put it in. I was like, oh, oh, that's that's the margin of error. If if it's anywhere up there. Yeah. I think it was against Drew Eubanks, and he was just like, yeah, Drew's yeah. a pretty athletic guy, but nowhere close. And he, he had a crazy one against Booker where, um, like, the ball was, like, over his head. And like he had his back to the room, and he then he like couldn't even see the room, and he just freaking put the ball in. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's crazy that he had this much hype, and he's like better than we thought he was going to be. Yeah, now it's all just health because that's the other yeah. thing that we always talk about with these these huge guys of like, hey, can you stay healthy for the course of a eighty two game season and thirteen years of this? And mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm trying not to like get too excited for him, but yeah. he's been everything advertised. I had a take pre-draft, which I want to bring up again because I feel like it's even better now. It's kind of a hot take. I said that there are only two players, um, two professional basketball players in the world who have a chance to be better than Michael Jordan. It's LeBron and it's Wemby. It was a spicy take, and I and I like take. it even more now. That's a great take. He has the physical tools to do just fucking anything like there's no limit to how far we can get on this i was going to note his block numbers are uh, currently 2.2 per game on 29 minutes per game which aren't like isn't as crazy as i thought it'd be i thought it'd be like three and a half per game but honestly i like him defensively more now than i did when i thought he'd be this like shot blocking demon because he understands better than anyone else like just standing there with his long ass arms in the air mm-hmm. is such a good defensive play like you don't have to block something to be an incredible defender he should have talked to dwight howard like 11 year old women yama should have seven-year-old like in 2011 or something should have talked to dwight and be like you don't have to block it out of bounds like you can just kind of like just kind of block it like just put your arms in the so not to go on too much of a tangent but there was an awesome kirk goldsberry piece um after dwight led the league in blocks for a couple of years about um how much he affected guys field goal percentage just by his like presence out there and there was like a fear factor so i'm not saying that like blocking them out of bounds uh was good or bad but like Wemby doesn't have that many blocks because Wemby has this fear factor. Uh, you watch him play, and I I might be getting this wrong. I don't have my notes up, but like Kenneth Bates Diop drove against him and like got in the lane and like kind of pump faked. And Wemby was just there straight up, and he's like, 
I'm going to pass. Like, like I don't want any part of this. And so the block numbers come down because guys just aren't, aren't willing to try. I feel bad for every other prospect just for the rest of time. <laughs> Cause you know, we're like, we're going to see this Wemby season and be like, he's, he's going to be like an all-star, like a fringe all NBA guy right now. And like, the next great prospect. It's like, yeah, nah. Like, what's Carl Anthony Towns as a rookie if, if this is what we're getting right now? Yeah. Dylan, you were going to say something? Um, I'm half watching the um, end of Raptors Spurs, and Wimby just gave up an offensive rebound to tie the game with one second left on the clock. So there's still some work to do. I think rebounding is probably <laughs> the is. biggest thing um, that he needs to work on. I've got his just basic defense and rebounding numbers up here. His field goal defensive rebounds, so the percentage of opponent shots that he rebounds, is about twenty percent, which is quite low for a, for a big man. But the block numbers, you know, let's not get carried away by saying you know he's not averaging three blocks, so he's not blocking a lot of shots. He's still blocking over four percent of opponent's shots, which is ninety eighth percentile among big men. So he is still a ridiculous block guy. Um, and the probably the most random and interesting one, like it's it's small sample size. Um, there can't have even been this many, but he offensively rebounds 10% of his team's free throw misses, which is just like an awesome and, and random stat. That's a real strategy they could do though, right? Like you could just miss it in his direction. That's one of the benefits of being seven foot, you know, 17 like this guy is. I love that he actually uses his length to do things like that. Did you see the picture of him next to Durant at the free throw line? Like yeah. they're lined <laughs> yeah. up for a rebound? <laughs> Yeah. And <laughs> I think the the why they got a small guy on Wimby tweet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but like if you take these players at their supposed listed heights, um Durant is listed at six nine, I think we all believe he's taller. Wimby is listed at six or at seven three, I think we all believe he's tire taller. That's six inches of difference. That is the same difference between Durant and like Patrick Beverly. So like if you're thinking of like we're gonna throw Beverly oh, at God. Durant, like like, yeah. That is that is that level of difference. Wimby is that big. It's it's been insane. Spurs are about to inbound. I will yeah, say, let's, edge of our seats. <laughs> let's guys, let's see is, if we can get a, a, a Wimby alley oop for the win. There's nothing yeah. better he, for recording such podcasts. Such a big that we can't even do our job properly. Right, hold up the game. You, you can't take your you can't take your eyes off him. But you um, know this Spurs, is a lob to him, right? It has to yeah, be. There's, Spurs are down in the ball. One point two on the clock. There's well, no we way be Elliot for the win. The best thing for recorded content is live reactions. <laughs> right, it's so just ages eight. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a long ass timeout. We take like time back to back timeouts. I might be ahead of you. Are you watching? You might. Spoiler: Sohan just throws the ball away. We're going overtime. Um, let's right. get back on track, Nate. What was what was next up for us? <laughs> you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I have something. What do you got, um, Aaron? I got. Well, I just I have another comment on your video asking for for topics. Yeah. The question is from Thick Man Inc. Who I think I'm, yeah I'm friends with them. Um, who wins yeah. a game? Who wins a seven game series between the Bulls and the Grizzlies? Hot topic. Mm. I mean, I would assume seven game series is the end of the year when Jaw's back. Mm, uh, right, now. So, right now. Right now. Right now. Uh, I'll tell you. Fuck. I'll tell you. I can't tell you who wins, but I'll tell you who loses, and it's everyone that has to watch that that series. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like the Bulls. I kind of like no, just in the terms Bulls of like shot right making answer. and playmaking, yeah. and like bad offense gets worse in the playoffs. So I think Memphis would average like eighty-eight points per game. Hmm. Um, and you 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 pair that with um you know so many 
playoff series is decided by the best player in the series. And Zach Levine is a very disappointing guy for as your number one option. You know, all of his great shot creation doesn't ever lead to efficient offense. Um, but he is still clearly the best player in that series. From an offensive perspective. Oh, offensive perspective, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, what happened to my boy, Jaron Jackson? <laughs> yeah, what, what God, happened this, to this him? Bulls team I, I, so de- I'm nothing all year. <laughs> and this Bulls team is so depressing to look at. It, it's okay. DeMar DeRozan's averaging 21 points on 44% shooting. Levine, 22 on 40. Vucevic, 16 on 48. Yuck. Yuck. Not good. Yeah. I, I have... I've watched 24 games. Not a single one of them have included the Chicago Bulls because I'm just, I'm just not interested. Like I know what this team is. And did you see their last game? They started Tory Craig over Patrick Williams. Pat Williams, yeah. If you're giving up hope on Pat Williams, this is just a lost season. This this just does not matter. You you do not need to exist as a franchise anymore. I've been trying to avoid saying the words blow it up because every time I do, TikTok will not post that video for like three hours. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> I don't, don't so do any violations. I've never thought about that. Just feeling like the bull, the Chicago Bulls need to blow it up, blow up Chicago. It's like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's um, it's like a um a euphemistic child safe TikTok safe term for for blow it up. Oh, it's just like balloon animals. We're talking about blowing up a balloon animal. Mm. They they need to balloon. We are good guys. I got I got one more thing, which is a thought that I had the other day, which is um I hope I didn't say this last week, but the the fact that Chicago is such a an interesting and boring team that no one ever wants to watch, um, I think is a significant outlier. You know, one good thing about this year is you know, coming into the season, there are there are always bad teams, but this year I feel like there aren't really any boring teams. Like even, you know, like this terrible Washington Wizards team is still interesting to watch, you know, like the, the Grizzlies can't win a game, but there's still hope there. Um, you know, it seems like Charlotte and Detroit and, and Houston. Is They're Utah like interesting compelling. to watch? No, that, okay. that was going to be my one, one counter. <laughs> but like, you're, you're right. There are 28 fun watchable teams. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say 27. I don't find Washington fun to watch either, but you don't like Jordan it's, it's, it's still interesting. Like there's, yeah. there's still, you know, when you tune into a game, you can be like, oh, I want to see like if, if Jordan Poole is going to look like a guy that can be a future number one option on a, you know, on an offense. Like there's there's something compelling in almost <laughs> in almost every game. She, no, he could not. It's just crazy. Like I have a uh, my best friend um, doesn't really know much about basketball, but he joined. Uh, a dynasty league that me and Nate are both in and he took Jordan Poole and he's like super into it and he's like Jordan Poole is like he's gonna you know 29 points per game like I'm excited to see that and I was like explain to him like I was like Jordan Poole doesn't give a fuck like he doesn't care like and I was showing him the quotes of how Poole said his like his legacy is cemented after the title and he's like I just don't understand like why he'd say that like I just I just don't really get like what's going on over there and like <laughs> he's just he's just like getting more and more defeated over time he's just like I just don't understand why Poole Poole's not playing well like I I just really anticipate a better season from him <laughs> can you think of any historical parallels where a guy has come from you know off of a championship team as a lower option and then gets thrown into a bad team as their number one option um can you think of any similar historical parallels and, and how has that turned out for those guys usually poorly i mean the closest one i can think of is not quite championship but is the james harden going to houston from okc mm. as, as like the clear sixth man yeah 
It's a KG system. Um, but I, I remember uh, Robert Ori went from Houston to Phoenix after being like the fifth man on the Rockets team that won two titles. And Phoenix was like really into, could we make him a star? And it was like, oh no, this is like a, a really good role player, but um, not not a star quality guy. So I, I guess another similar one Kuzma? in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe that. Um, or you know the exact same thing. You know, straight from the Warriors dynasty team. Um, Harrison Barnes is the number one option mm. in Dallas. Yeah, Harrison Barnes has been as good as he is now since he was born. Like he's <laughs> he came out of the womb just as he is. He is unchanged. Seriously, I mean, he he is like the numbers. Like he had a huge first game. His numbers have already regressed to last season's he's, averages. He's a crazy. solid fifth option throughout his entire career. Yeah, I can't believe that you guys got excited for the Harrison Barnes game. I saw it in the group chat, Aaron. You can't try to hide it. <laughs> I, 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 was, mean... I was excited. He was great. I didn't think he was going to be anything. I didn't think that was going to go anywhere. <laughs> I have to note, we won the Harrison Barnes trade. We I, we gave him, it was like a salary dump from Dallas for Zebo, who obviously never played for them, and Justin Jackson. And overall, that was a good trade. Yeah, it's all worked out. In our pre-pod discussion, Aaron, you had it some takes on Utah, or at least one to mention Utah being terrible. Floor is yours. It's not a super fleshed out take. <laughs> I thought they'd be pretty bad and they're, they're really not great. They're two and five currently. Uh, but I'm not sure what their net rating is. Let's see. Um, not good. Negative 7.1. I mean, the Ooh. Kings blew them out in the, in the opener. If that tells you anything at this point. And then the last season, a huge part of their hot start was one hot shooting, but also like Mike Conley is like, really established veteran point guard could help facilitate for a young team and now it's like jordan clarkson and colin sexton like i i don't think that's that's i mean that's got to be the worst backcourt in the league right or at least tandem of point guards yeah yeah right i mean it's not great uh they have a county uh county george right yeah, george. George. Um, they have nice like it, it's just they have no facilitating and i saw a tweet today that offered harrison barnes in three first for laurie marketing what do you guys think about that? I I think there's going to be a fire sale on marketing or like whenever he they try to move him, there's going to be a bidding war because what I don't know what his salary is at, but I don't feel like it's that insane that um, it eliminates many teams. Um, and I've kind of been thinking, you know, the 76ers got a fair amount of assets for James Harden. Could he be their big target? That's nice. That's interesting. Or at least I like mean, that'd a, be, a starting point. That'd be yeah. an awesome fit just in terms of what marketing brings. I'm pulling up his salary now. He is at, oh God, he is their third highest paid player behind John Collins, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton. When did Colin Sexton get that money? I think in the sign and trade to get it to uh, Donovan Mitchell. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. So he's at 17 mil. So I do straight like up Marcus Sexton Morris works. I think... Okay, I don't know if the numbers back it up, but Colin Sexton is one of the best I one of the best eye test defenders in the league. Like he just gets in front of people like crazy wide stance, like he's just an animal. I don't know if there's any evidence that that's effective defense or he actually stops his opponents from scoring, but it's very intimidating. <laughs> it it's not. Ah it's... man. <laughs> yeah. I, I I watched them play. I've watched Utah play twice now, once against the Clippers, once against, against the Magic, which uh, the Magic game, I was like, what is wrong with Paolo? Like, why hasn't Paolo been good? Watched their last two games. Paolo's been fantastic. Apparently, the only thing wrong with Paolo was just I wasn't watching the games. So 
Magic fans, you're welcome. <laughs> I brought him back. I revived his career, resuscitated it. Um, but Utah, listen, we all know Lakers players get a lot of hype that they don't deserve. And they, the Lakers tried to hype the hell out of all their young guys. THT wishes he was Eric Gordon on like an average day. He wishes he was Eric Gordon right now. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that THT is better than Eric Gordon this season. That's so mean. That's vengeful Laker, Laker shit, Nate. Just taking it no, out on old Lakers, guys. <laughs> he's just not good. He kept, like, driving in there and would, like, try to finish at the rim. And I don't... Do you think he's his, better than Prime Kyle Lowry? His wingspan, though. Prime Kyle Lowry? It's a dog. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the, the, the Lakers wouldn't trade him for Prime Kyle Lowry because they, they thought he was going to be better. No. That's right. To, to take a bigger picture on Utah, um, I think one thing about their demise and also the Grizzlies, is that it's really clarified the Western Conference. We're coming into this season, but you know, us us and everyone else was like, there are like eleven good teams in the West. Like how the fuck are we gonna get to, you know, a, a clear ten or a clear eight? Um, and the Grizzlies being bad, Utah being bad, like that really does sort of, you know, clarify and stratify things. Yeah, except for do- Phoenix just falling apart and uh, being in that lower tier right now. Yeah, three and four positive yeah. point differential because they got the win while we were recording this pod that's true just quickly on on the phoenix um you maybe don't need a point guard when you've got devin booker and bradley beal on the floor but when you've got neither, neither of those guys then you actually probably do need a point guard so yeah that's i don't want to say an oversight because you don't really plan for your your two you know your starting backcourt to both be injured at the same time but that's something that Phoenix, um, you know, a, a floor in their roster. Yeah, and I think, um, I think Bradley Beal's really hurt. I don't think they want to admit that. I think he's, I think he's going to be out for a long time. Um, I'm guessing he injured himself in preseason, and they don't, they kind of tucked it away, and then like they, you know, like an hour before the game, or it was like the morning of opening night, they're like, oh, and Bradley Beal's out, by the way, or he's day to day. I remember he went from from healthy to questionable to healthy to questionable to healthy to questionable all in the course of like, I mean, he kept going back and forth. Um, I saw the video of him taking shots in the gym. Doesn't look great. It doesn't look like someone who's ready to play NBA basketball. So they're going to be without him for a while. But I, I think when he does come back, the lack of point guards actually fine. Like Dylan is saying. I will say watching campaign play in Milwaukee, I don't think Phoenix misses him. Yeah. I know what's going on. E- even with uh, all of their injuries, I-, I think they're probably okay. That uh, seems to be pretty inconsequential. But gentlemen, we have 30 seconds left in Raptors Spurs. Where can the people find you? Possible chairs on TikTok and this podcast all the time. Dylan? On the Hoops Temple podcast. Find me here at Hoops Temple podcast. You can also email us, hoopstemple at gmail.com. We'd love to get more questions from y'all. Please hit us up. I'm not a podcast host, I'm a podcast host.